Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What we need is more common sense. More common sense. We've got to use plain old common sense. Breaking down the world's nonsense. About how American common sense will see us through. With the common sense of Houston. I'm just pro-common sense. For Houston, from Houston. Where you're talking about common sense. This is the Jimmy Barrett Show. Brought to you by ViewIn.com. Now, here's Jimmy Barrett. Okay, I've been thinking about this a lot. Over the course of the last 24 hours, I have decided I just don't have what it takes mentally to do this show today. I withdraw myself from the next two hours. Andrew, would you like to take my place in the lineup today? I'm just not here mentally. I'm not, I'm not prepared to do this. I'm afraid I might hurt myself. He's not answering. So nobody's, nobody's willing to step in for me? Okay. So what are my choices? Well, I don't have a lot of choices because I'm a baby boomer. And my father was part of the greatest generation. Former Navy pilot serving during World War II. They didn't have a lot of choices either. They went to war and they won a war. And that's not to make an excuse for being brought up with the ideal that you don't quit in the middle of something because all of a sudden you just don't think you can do it. That is a completely different mindset than people over the age of 50 were brought up with. I'm sorry. I think the world is Simone Biles. But I believe Simone Biles is part of a generation of people who were brought up with The idea of you don't fall down, you don't fail, mom or dad is always there to pick you up, dust you off, everything's okay, everything's okay. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. And now it's starting to show itself. Now, I will be roundly criticized for saying this because people will say, well, you're not taking into consideration she may have a real mental health issue. Maybe she does. I think anybody who's been in competition, anybody who's ever played sports, can relate to the idea that there are times when you just don't have confidence in yourself. I played football. There's some games where I had a lot of confidence in my ability to block that opposing off a defensive lineman or linebacker, and other times where I had no confidence at all. But I really didn't have a choice. I was expected to play the position to the best of my ability. And if you're representing your country in the US, USA Olympic team, on the gymnastics team, I'd like to think you do the same. Now, maybe she felt the stack was, you know, the deck was stacked against her. Maybe she really felt that she could or would hurt herself. Maybe she really did feel that she was going to bring the team down. 
Maybe there is some honor in saying, I'm sorry, guys, I don't have it. I'm sorry you're depending on me, but I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to move out of the way because I'm only going to hurt you. Maybe, there's, maybe there is some honor in that. I'm not saying there's not. I'm just saying it's a difficult mindset for those of us who were not allowed to not try for fear of failure. For somebody brought up to try, even if you're going to fail, better to try and fail than the fail to try. By the way, here is Simone Biles with her announcement that she was withdrawing from at least a portion of the Olympics. It's been really stressful, this Olympic Games, I think, just as a whole, um, not having an audience. There are a lot of different variables going into it. It's been a long week. It's been a long Olympic process. It's been a long year. Um, so just a lot of different variables, and I think we're just a little bit too stressed out. Um, but we should be out here having fun, and sometimes that's not the case. I just felt like it would be a little bit better to take a back seat, uh, work on my mindfulness, and I knew that the girls would do an absolutely great job, and I didn't want to risk the team a medal for uh, kind of my screw-ups because they've worked way too hard for that. So I just decided that the, those girls need to go in and do the rest of the competition. Okay, yeah, now, I um, say um, put mental health first because – if you don't, then you're not going to enjoy your sport and you're not going to succeed as much as you want to. So it's okay sometimes to even sit out the big competitions to focus on yourself because it shows how strong of a competitor and person that you really are. Oh, okay. So you're a really strong person if you decide to drop out. Don't know about that one. And I'm sorry, but she doesn't sound that stressed to me. She doesn't sound that stressed. Now I'm seeing all sorts of little messages pop up. Maybe she found out she was pregnant. I don't know where that comes from. Y'all know something I don't know? Did anybody process a pregnancy test for Simone Biles that I'm unaware of? Because I'm, I'm completely unaware of that possibility. And wouldn't you think that if that were the case, she might say, well, I found out I'm with child and I'm afraid I might hurt myself and my unborn baby. I would, <laughs> I would, think, I would think I would offer that up first rather than, you know, that I'm mentally stressed. Uh, by the way, there's plenty of sympathy for her. Aaron Rodgers has come forward. He can relate. He says, yeah, I get it. You know, I'm not, I get it. I've been that way. I've, I've, there's been, uh, that's one of the things I've had to work on in the offseason is sort of my, you know, my, my mental capability. I understand there's a mental part of any game you play. No doubt about it. Also, Michael Phelps. And, and this guy knows a little something about the Olympics. After all, the guy won 23 gold medals, three silver medals, and two bronze medals, 28 medals altogether. Here's what Michael Phelps said earlier today about Simone Biles. The Olympics is overwhelming. Um, there's a lot of emotions that go into it. There's a lot of... Uh, it, I mean, I could talk to you for, about this for an hour. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the easiest way for me to say it is... I think athletes and Olympic athletes in general, I mean, talking about weight of gold, we need someone who we can trust, mm -hmm. somebody that can let us be ourselves and listen, mm -hmm. um, allow us to become vulnerable, somebody who's not going to try and fix us. You know, we carry a lot of things, a lot of weight on our shoulders, and it's challenging, especially when we have the, the, the lights on us and all of these expectations that are being thrown on top of us. So, um, it, <sighs> It broke my heart. Yeah. Um, 
But also if you look at it, mental health over the last 18 months is something that people are talking about. You've talked about it a lot with the pandemic when, it, when that came up and your honesty about you dealing with your mental health. You have said, you've made it public, hey, it's okay to not be okay. That's the phrase you have Correct. used, not just for you, but to help the people you can touch with your platform. We're humans, right? We're human beings. Nobody is perfect. So yes, it is okay to not be okay. It is okay to, do, to go through ups and downs and emotional roller coasters. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I mean, that that's life. That is life. But I think the low end of the roller coaster has been made more severe by a lack of preparation. By, by, by parents, by adults, with their kids, about expectations of what you can expect, what life is likely to throw at you. Anyway, we'll have more on this coming up. Stand by. Jimmy Barrett Show here on AM 950 KPRC. 3.20 our time here on AM 950 KPRC. It, it, bottom line, it, it, it's well within the rights of Simone Biles or anybody else on the U.S. Olympic team to quit if that's what they want to do. But... But let's call it what it is. It's, it's quitting. It's, it's giving up on a commitment. Now, you can say that she has every right to do so. She does. You can say that she did the right thing. I'm sure there are plenty of people who think that she did. You could also say, and I think there's room for a differing opinion, that maybe she let her team down. As it turns out, they won a the silver medal after she withdrew, and maybe it was the right move to make. It's just highly unusual. We live in a different world. And some of us, I guess, are going to have to get used to it. Some things are easier to get used to than others. I personally have a hard time quitting on things because of the way I was raised. I, I can't think of too many things I've quit. I quit, on, I quit on one marriage, and it bothers me to this day. Not because it wasn't the right thing to do, but because it was something I failed at. Not that we don't all fail. We do. Failure is a part of life. But it's not in my nature to give up on something. It just isn't. And maybe it's not in your nature either. So I think we're all going to have mixed emotions. Now, Simone Biles is a proud member of the Houston community. She's a great ambassador for the city. She's a great ambassador for the entire region. She has a successful business. She lives here. She She calls... the metro Houston area home, you know, it's not something we're going to hound her with by any stretch of the imagination. I just found it kind of interesting. I've never, I've never, I've never heard, at least out loud, that excuse given before for dropping out of an event. You know, injury, yeah, physical injury, we all get that. Mental injury, yeah, that may be a first. I'm sure it's not a first, but it just it feels like a first. Okay. Infrastructure deal, supposedly. Biden had some camp I say campaign because I think for, for any a president, any appearance where they're touting themselves and their programs is a campaign appearance. 
um, made an appearance today, said uh, he had just heard that uh, they'd reached a bipartisan agreement on an infrastructure deal. Now, the news media is going to report, even even the political websites are going to report this in real generic terms. Politico saying, here's the headline, Republicans signal they will advance bipartisan infrastructure deal. That means both Democrats and Republicans support it. That means that some people gave in. Who gave in the most? Because we know what the deal is starting like, right? Like, wasn't it like a $1 trillion deal to start with? Evidently, it's about half of that now. We knew it was loaded with all sorts of Green New Deal-style stuff, things that didn't have anything to do with building roads and bridges. It included human infrastructure. Yeah, right. So, what does the story say? Is there any clue in the story that tells us what's in the bill? I'll just read from the political story, and we'll see if we can find something out together. Senate Republicans likely to move forward on a bipartisan infrastructure framework with a vote planned as soon as tonight, Wednesday night, and an agreement on key issues. Senator Rob Portman, Republican from Ohio, He's the point man, GOP point man on the deal, said today he and other negotiators are ready to vote to consider the bipartisan agreement after Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced a potential vote in the next 12 hours. Okay, please note that an agreement to have a vote doesn't mean there's an agreement to pass the bill. Just they've agreed to vote on it, although I would guess if they didn't think they had the votes to pass it, they wouldn't. Uh, Portman saying, as of late last night and really early this morning, we now have an agreement on the major issues. We are prepared to move forward. Portman added that he didn't know exactly what time a vote might occur, but guessed it would be tonight sometime, based on Chuck Schumer's comments. He said he was ready to have a healthy debate here in the chamber. The possible vote today is a sign negotiators are closing in on a final deal. Schumer held a vote last week to begin the process of passing a cross-aisle infrastructure plan, but the Senate Republicans blocked it, asking for more time to finalize the deal. GOP negotiators huddled with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, but it's not clear if 10 Senate Republicans will vote to proceed. They also had a caucus meeting a couple of hours ago, and that's where evidently, that's when the phone call went to Biden that they had some sort of deal worked out. Supposedly, it's just shy of $600 billion. New spending on roads, bridges, and broadband. But that's all we know about it. That doesn't tell us, that does not give us the nitty-gritty details. I can assure you, of the $600 billion, not all of that is roads, bridges, and broadband. There's going to be other things in there. Plenty of other things in there. And they're not reporting in the story what those other things are. Then again, very few like to get into the minute details of these things. See, I do. I mean, I don't need to read every line of the bill. I don't need to know where every single penny goes. But I need to know, okay, of the $600 billion, how much of that is on roads, bridges, and other true infrastructure measures? How much is going to roads? How much is going to bridges? What states get it? All that kind of stuff. Before I can sit there and say, okay, that looks like something that I could support. 
or something I can't. And of course, we don't get those kinds of details. And most people, I realize I'm I'm a I'm an odd duck. There's not a lot of people who want those kinds of details. I do. It's the only way I can make some sort of a judgment, at least in my own mind, is this something that's worthwhile or not. The fact that so many of us settle for just the overview. Well, just give me, yo, how much is it? Okay. What are we spending the money on? Oh, okay. Roads and bridges? Okay. But that's not how it works in Washington, D.C. In a, in a bill that encompasses $600 billion taxpayer dollars, how many pages do you suppose that bill is? How many hundreds upon hundreds of pages would you have to mind-numbingly read in order to figure out everything that is in that bill? I'm sure there's all kinds of things that would make us go, what? Huh? Sp- they're spending money on what? So I'm going to reserve judgment. For one thing, they haven't voted for it yet. They're just going to vote to vote. It's a vote to vote. That's how they do things. Yeah, we'll vote yes to vote. But we're not voting yes to vote yes. We're voting, yeah, we'll vote. Anyway, keep you posted on that one. Coming up in a few minutes, a guy by the name of Spencer O'Leary. We have not, we've never talked to Spencer before. He's a, a remote working expert. Uh, he's at ActiveOps.com. I'm going to uh, talk to him a little bit here because there's all kinds of stories about what does the new workplace look like now that we finally have people coming back to work. First of all, how many people are not back to work yet in the workplace? And um, how difficult is it going to be to get some of these folks who worked at home back into the office? I hear a lot of people are quitting their jobs. They don't want to go back to the office. Back with more in a moment. Jimmy Baird Show here on AM 950 KPRC. Read about it later? How about we talk about it now? The Jimmy Barrett Show continues on KPRC 950. All right, I'm wondering, you know, with these these new recommendations from the CDC on masks, how, how is this going to impact people going back to work or your workplace or your ability to go ahead and stay at home? Because I know some of you don't want to go back to work. You want to stay at home. Listen, I can relate to that to a certain extent. That's why I do this afternoon show from my home. I do the morning show from the studios, but I do the afternoon show from home. And there's one reason why I do it from home and one reason only. I don't have to make a 40-mile drive between the Galleria and just south of the Woodlands, Texas. At 5 o'clock in the afternoon, with everybody else is trying to slug their way home. I get the commute part of it. But at some point in time, don't you really need to get back to the office? Don't you really need to meet face-to-face with the boss? Aren't you tired of looking at your, 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 your co-workers on a Zoom meeting computer? That part gets, that, that gets, that gets old after a while, at least in my world. Anyway, here to talk about all this, Spencer O'Leary. Um, he's a remote workplace expert at Active Ops. Is the name of the company, ActiveOps.com, by the way. Spencer, welcome for the first time to our show. Glad to have you, sir. Hi, how, much pushback, how much pushback are you getting from people about going back to work? So we're seeing a lot of pushback from people going back to the office to work. And uh, I think your, the, your introduction here, you're embracing the real hybrid work that seems to be the new phase that we're starting to see both organizations and some employees 
uh, demand of their employers. Uh, and that hybrid work model of, of taking the positives of working from home, less distraction, ability to get through my work. Uh, at ActiveOps, we provide uh, some software to help businesses measure how productive people are working from home. And we're seeing an increase in production when people, as I say, reduce those distractions. But it's the other metrics that you started to allude to that, that are worrying. Things like employee well-being, not having that social interaction with their colleagues, things like innovation and creativity dropping because we're all working alone from home. So your working model, that hybrid, I've gone in the office this morning and I'm working from home this afternoon. We see most businesses adopting more of a, on this day I go to the office and on this day I work from home, a, a two-three model or a three-two model, depending on the day of the week. That hybrid work model is something that a lot of businesses are starting to seriously consider about how their future workforce might work. Okay. Uh, I'm wondering, too, and maybe it's too early to tell, Spencer, but as you know, the CDC has come out with these new mask guidelines, and I, it probably has a lot of uh, corporations in particular rethinking uh, those that, I can't believe there's still some that haven't reopened the workplace, but I know there are. Um, so for those who have not reopened, does this have them, do you think, rethinking when they're going to reopen if they were planning to do it soon? I think both when they reopen and then how they operate in that in that reopened environment. So uh, vaccinated and unvaccinated people, what happens to unvaccinated about masks? What about testing? In my business, we... In 2019 and, and before, we go to customer sites all over North America and, and, and visit our customers' offices. What's that going to mean for people who are in this various vaccination status? So I think we're still, uh, we're still confused by the complexity of the, the new world that we're now facing. But, but one thing certainly for sure, um, businesses who are adopting and accommodating a flexible work approach, they're the ones who are t- attracting the best talent. Uh, and it's never been easier to change a job as it is today because I can predominantly work from home and just work for a different organization. And I don't know the latest figures today, but last week, 9 million open jobs in the U.S. And that balance of power today, at least, has really shifted from employer to employee. And it's the employees who are starting to dictate uh, how they want to work in the future. Okay. Well, that part doesn't surprise me. Whoever has the power, generally speaking, would like to wield it. <laughs> and it's pretty rare in, in work history that employees are the ones who actually hold the power. So so what are you finding is is um, the negotiation technique that maybe some of these employees are using with their bosses that are, 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 are sort of resisting the idea of completely working at home or using that work at home come to the office a couple of days a week, hybrid model. What sort of technique are they using? Are they just plain threatening to quit? Uh, Quitting is definitely one of the levers that they're starting to pull. There's others, um, and some of our customers at ActiveOps, we, we create a piece of software that helps people better manage workers who are working from the office or home. And where we see that in, in, in use by the employee is they're demonstrating to their boss that they're as productive, if not more productive, working at home as they are in the in the office. So it's sort of a data-driven, uh, I can give you more output for the same wage if you allow me to work at home. And then we've got the opposite of that. We've got employers who are using some similar techniques to make sure that they get that hybrid model. So we see some employees who are, are providing free food on certain days of the week to try and get people back together. We've got some employees who are completely changing their real estate and the office is no longer 
you know, banks of desks or banks of booths where people come in and just sit next to each other and work. They've created better collaboration spaces where people come to the office to meet, collaborate and innovate, and then people go home to work and, and, and do production and get their work done. So where organizations are getting that right, Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. They've actually got a reasonable balance between that employee-employer pull. Uh, where organizations are getting it wrong, as we just talked about, that, that balance of power is just going one way. It's going to the employee. You know, it's interesting that you should mention that because we're in the process of, uh, it, we have a, five radio stations who are part of our Houston cluster. Um, they're all iHeart radio stations. We, we are currently in a uh, in an office building, the Galleria, that takes up two floors, used to take up three floors, takes up two floors. You know, there's the usual sales cubicles and general manager's offices and air studios and all the things that go along with the broadcast facility. But we're in the process of building a new facility that is one floor that is smaller than one the one floor of the th- two floors we have now that basically takes the sales cubicles and turns it into some a couple of private little booths that any salesperson can kind of plug and play with their computer and sit down. Uh, the idea being that most of the time they're out selling anyway. They're not in the radio station. There's just a couple of studios because we only need a couple available at any one time. Any radio station can operate out of any one of the studios. It, it, it's a whole different work model that's starting up for us, and I'm guessing you, you, you can change the application for whatever business you're in, but that seems to be the future, doesn't it? It does, and there's, there's always some industries that sort of stick out that you, you can't do that if you're a frontline worker or you're a... Uh, you're a construction or a manufacturing, you know, you kind of got to go to where the machinery is or where the, where the people or patients are. But I think for the service industry, um, you know, think about how we're all changing as consumers, how we interact with our bank or our insurance company, uh, how we self-serve more. Um, we, you know, we don't ring our bank or our insurance company anymore. So we, we, we've changed as consumers, and it's, it's time now, I think, that we change uh, as employers. So it sounds like, you, you know, your your company really have embraced that idea of, um, using this time when people want to work at home, if, if you can get that format right of working from home and working from the office, this is a win-win. We can have more productive people who create more output for their cost of the business whilst bringing them together to create and innovate um, and give people that space and freedom. The number of people I've heard that have gone and calculated I think you said some of this at the start of, uh, of, of of this discussion, but they've calculated how long they've spent commuting. And it's an unbelievable amount of downtime, non-productive time, non-value-adding time that people have spent in whatever mode of transport traveling between A to B where they don't get anything done. If we can take some of that time and do more work, and we can take some of that time and have a better lifestyle, some personal time, what a great win-win environment if businesses can get that right. I'm talking to Spencer O'Leary from ActiveOps. They they produce software. He's the CEO of ActiveOps North America, global company. They're a leader in management process automation. And in in basically, Spencer, you've been telling me you can track. And this one of the biggest, I guess, concerns any 
any company head has um, who's thinking about allowing any of their people work from home, let alone you know adopting this on a more permanent basis, this hybrid model, is being able to track whether or not they're actually getting their work done. So without getting overly complicated, tell me how your software works. How does that help people track uh, the productivity of their employees? So, so two things we're tracking when we're measuring what an employee, whether they're working from the office or home. Yes, we're measuring their productivity, but we're also measuring their well-being. We're looking at their general working practices through the day and monitoring to make sure that if they change, that might be a suggestion that something's changed and therefore there's a workplace stress-related issue and their manager can interact early. So we measure that by the way that they use their computer and the things that they do. We provide some real-time reports to managers just to help them have better conversations with their team about individual performance, whether that be productivity or well-being. So the biggest thing that we saw change through the pandemic wasn't, whilst it was very different, people working from home. The thing that really changed was managing people who were working from home. And whilst we all spent a lot of time embedding things like Teams and Zoom and collaboration tools and equipping people with laptops, once we got people working from home, it wasn't that hard. But managing people who work from home, when I was a team manager and I managed my 15 or 20 or 5,000 people, most of the time I could either see them or at some point I interacted face-to-face. We took all of those mediums away from people. Now they need to manage remotely. So at ActiveOps, we're equipping those managers who are now managing this new hybrid workforce. We're equipping them with data, some skills and a method to enable them to be better managers when they're managing in that hybrid world. Just want to get a quick last opinion from you before we let you go, Spencer. And that's about the future of business travel. For those who used to travel on a regular basis to go meet and to sell and to sell themselves and their companies, um, taking trips to New York and Los Angeles and wherever they may go, is that been permanently replaced by the Zoom meeting, do you think? Or do we get back to, to, to the old model of meeting in person, shaking hands and doing the things we used to do in the world of business? You know, I think we might actually go back to where we were and further, because I think one of the things that people have realized in in any industry where you have a role of people who um, either sell or or retain business is relationships. You know, people like to buy from people like them uh, and building those strong relationships uh, was hard when we could do it face to face. It's even harder. Uh, when we've tried to do it through some sort of electronic medium, Zoom or or Teams. So I can see business travel uh, getting back to where it was and and, and possibly even extending further that it's more expected that when you're having some sort of relationship sale with another individual, that you need to now make the time, you need to make the effort to make that in-person presence. Um, And that could be a real help for the economy as well if we can get people moving around and not just sitting at home and expecting the whole world to come to them on Zoom. So I think that's going to be a really interesting next 12, 18 months as we see how that shift, uh, both in the economy and in the world of business, changes us as we all go forward. Interesting stuff. Spencer, good to talk to you. Best of luck. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jimmy. Take care. Bye-bye. You, you too. That's the CEO of Active Ops North America, Spencer O'Leary, joining us here on AM 950 KPRC. As he's talking there, I, I just thought of a great retirement job for former television news anchors. Huh. I'm going to run it past you. See what you think. Coming up next, Jimmy Baird Show, AM 950 KPRC. You know, so I'm listening to Spencer O'Leary. 
And a light bulb came on. I should talk to Shara about this. About a sort of, I guess it would be kind of like a uh, corporate consultant type of position. I think there's a real need for this now. You know, because of social media, we do this show live on Facebook every day. And and I I don't have television experience. I don't worry about eye contact with the camera. You know, I just let the, the let the camera film. Most most people who do things on Facebook, they don't really worry that much about eye contact with the camera. There's an art form to that. But I'm thinking to myself, you know, if you're if you're somebody who's trying to conduct meetings on Zoom, you heard what what Spencer said, right? He said that he expects that we will get back to the business model of making business trips and meeting people in person because there really is there's no great substitute for shaking a hand or making eye contact with somebody you're trying to talk to and being able to get their attention and to relate to them. And as he's saying that, I'm going, well, hang on a second. People on TV do it all the time. And like like most people, I used to watch people on TV and think, oh, hell, I could do that. That's easy. And then I had a chance a few times to actually do a television segment on TV where you've got the camera, that impersonal hunk of equipment with a lens that you have to somehow look at and look natural instead of looking stiff and wooden and unrelatable. What a great job for somebody who is a retired television anchor. Or maybe even not retired. Teaching people in the corporate world how to relate to a camera. So that you can go into a Zoom meeting and actually do it in an entertaining way. Like you're doing a TV show. So you can go into a Zoom meeting and, and, and make that eye contact through the camera with the people you're talking to. There's an art to that. It's, it's not something we do naturally. It, it's something that requires you know practice. There's got to be some money to be made doing that stuff. Hey, Shara! Maybe when she eventually does decide to retire, that might be a great gig for her. I might have to tell her about this one. Anyway, I don't know if that's going to pan out or not. But I have the I have the family Zoom meetings are here to stay, so that that might that might be a need at some point. Um, Governor Abbott, we're going to get to this um, to open up next hour. Governor Abbott uh, issuing some more orders today. I think that and and this is good that he's issuing these types of orders. Uh, one of them has to do with ordering the Texas National Guard to, to assist with arrest at the U.S.-Mexico border. Now, you need a reason to arrest somebody, right? And the reason that he's giving is trespassing. But now he's issued another executive order today. And this executive order restricts the transportation of migrants due to (laughs) COVID-19. That's a pretty damn good idea. And a pretty damn good reason to not be able to transport migrants. So this is a way, so now he's saying, if you come here across the border, you're trespassing, 
we will arrest you for that. If somebody's trying to transport you either somewhere else in the state or to another state, then we have a reason to stop you or to stop any vehicle that we think might be doing it because, after all, we don't know if anybody amongst that group might have COVID-19, might be spreading COVID-19 in the state of Texas. More on this coming up. We have uh, Fox News next at 4. Back with our number 2 in a moment, Jimmy Barrett Show, here on AM 950 KPRC. Is more common sense. More common sense. You've got to use plain old common sense. Breaking down the world's nonsense. About how American common sense will see us through. With the common sense of Houston. I'm just pro common sense. For Houston, from Houston. Where is talking about common sense? This is the Jimmy Barrett Show. Brought to you by Viewin.com. Now, here's Jimmy Barrett. All right, here we go. It's hour number two of our show here today. And uh, again, the governor has issued an executive order restricting transportation of migrants due to COVID-19. So here's what the order says. Right from the governor's letterhead, straight from his office. Um, It says, Governor Greg Abbott today issued an executive order restricting ground transportation of migrants who pose a risk of carrying COVID-19 into Texas communities. That would be anybody crossing the border. The executive order also directed the Texas Department of Public Safety to stop any vehicle upon reasonable suspicion of such violation and reroute such vehicles back to its point of origin or point of entry. In other words, we clearly just came across the border You are carrying migrants. Turn around and go back. Now, I don't know how many more people we could stop or catch. I thought we were stopping everybody that was doing that now. And then just had to release them. Evidently, this is a technique that they believe will allow them to force these people back across the border. Um... It also would allow DPS the authority to impound a vehicle that violates the executive order. Here's the quote from the governor. The dramatic rise in unlawful border crossings has also led to a dramatic rise in COVID-19 cases among unlawful migrants who have made their way into our state. And we must do more to protect Texans from this virus and reduce the burden to our communities. This executive order will reduce the risk of COVID-19 exposure in our communities. So there you go. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So that's two things he's done in the last 24 hours. This being the latest. The other one being his order uh, to the Texas National Guard to assist with arresting 
people at the U.S.-Mexico border for trespassing. So those, those are the two things. Hey, Dusty Hill died. I, I should mention that. Died here in Houston, in fact. Um, you know, it's always amazing to me how quickly Wikipedia can update a page. It's already been updated. Um, the American musician, singer, songwriter, best known as the bassist and secondary lead vocalist of ZZ Top, died today. Or actually, they believe he died in his sleep. So that probably was overnight last night, but the news announced today. Uh, He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of ZZ Top in 2004. Um, It says that he died in his sleep here in Houston at the age of 72. Now, I don't know if he'd been in any ill health or if this was expected. I I think he had some sort of a hip issue. But no, no word yet on what the cause of death might be. But worth mentioning, you know, the Dusty Hills passed away at the age of 72. I used to think 72 was old. <laughs> but as time goes on, somehow it doesn't seem quite as old anymore to me. For whatever reason, that seems kind of young. Um, also, a lot of other, one of the things, let's get into this. Because I asked for this, and I never got to it last half hour, Andrew, so be handy with my shrinkflation thing here. You know, I had we had a guy on the morning show today on KTRH who was the, with the Texas Retailers Association, specifically working with the grocers. And one of the things we talked about was shrinkflation. Now, shrinkflation is what we're seeing at grocery stores all across America. This is, this is why that giant box of Frosted Flakes doesn't exist anymore. This is why a pint of ice cream is 14 ounces. Yeah. Well, not for everybody. I, I, you know, not that I wouldn't salute them anyway because I love the product. But I, I think we need to give a special salute to Bluebell because Bluebell... Right on their website, well, right on their cartons of ice cream, um, if you take a look at a Bluebell half-gallon of ice cream, it says still one-half gallon, an actual one-half gallon. Now, I assume the pints are still a real pint. For those who don't remember their basic measurements, there's 16 ounces in a pint of ice cream. If it's 14 ounces, it's not a pint. Now, I don't know if it still says a says pint of ice cream on some of these products where they've reduced the actual volume that's in it. But I do know they make a pint look like a pint, even if it's not a pint. They make a half gallon look like a half gallon, even if it isn't. They make a gallon look like a gallon, even if it isn't. But what determines the actual measurement of something is how many ounces it is. A pint is not 14 ounces. So if they are marking it as a pint, they're lying to us. They're making it look the same, so you think you're getting the same, but you're not. And this is happening all over the place. Uh, From Fox Business, here's Grady Trimble on what else we're getting in the world of shrinkflation. This is sort of out of your control. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing I can do about it. It's all at the distribution when we get it from the vendors. The vendors are the ones that are going, you know, making it smaller, the packaging smaller. 
and we get invoiced in and we still have to make a percentage in order to run a business. So it's passed on to the consumer. And you started to notice this shrinkflation a few years ago, but it's really ramped up over the last several months, right? Exactly, exactly. It, it's been going on for about, I would say, two and a half years, but now we can really see it. And what changed? Obviously, manufacturing costs are going up, labor costs are going up, transportation costs are going up. Is that what it is? And then these consumer packaged goods companies don't want to raise prices, so they just sell you less? Exactly. And the, and the packaging actually looks the same. It does. It's deceiving. I mean, boxes of cereal, it's a box of cereal. A gallon of bleach, it's a gallon of bleach. Exactly. And people come in and say, I'm getting a gallon of bleach. It's only 1.78 quarts or whatever it is. You know, it's, it's unusual. And then like a pint of ice cream is 14 ounces. Yeah. So, Dagan, uh, that's the perfect example. A pint of ice cream, no longer even a pint, but you wouldn't know it because the container looks just about the same. It's just slightly smaller than it used to be. And you're no. paying the same amount for it as you hey, would something. for 16 ounces. In many cases, it's just as tall. That's what they've done. That's what they've started doing with boxes of cereals now. They're just as tall, but they've gotten, they're not as wide. Little bit thinner, little bit thinner, little bit thinner. They realized that if they started taking the box down with the height, that you'd notice that, but you don't notice the width as much. Pretty sneaky. Pretty sneaky. All right, Dr. Sal joins us next. Dr. Salvatore Giorgiani. Um, he's at Men's Health Network. Uh, the possible federal vaccine mandate. What does he think about that? Is the vaccine mandate coming? I said I said months and months ago, eventually it was going to come to this, and it would appear that's the direction we're headed. Back with more in a moment. Jimmy Barrett Show here on AM 950 KPRC. It's something you're going to hear a lot of today. I had the vaccine. I don't want to wear a mask. Why are you making me wear a mask? If vaccines work, why do I have to wear a mask if I've had the vaccine? I don't know. How many times have you heard that today? I've heard that more times than I care to count. I've even said it a few times myself. Joining us to talk about it is Dr. Salvatore J. Giorgiani Jr. Hope I'm getting that right. Dr. Sal, we'll call him. Um... He is a senior science advisor to Men's Health Network, past chair and chair emeritus of the American Public Health Association, former alumni association board member of Columbia University School of Health, and a pharmaceutical expert. Dr. Sal, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me on, Jimmy. Good to have you on. Um, <laughs> this one I know is complicated because it's funny because when I when I heard that you were available to talk to, I, I asked... Um, the publicist, I said, where does was doc, where does Dr. Sell stand on this? And so he asked you, and I think the response to you was, it's complicated. And I thought, you know what? Fair enough. It is kind of complicated. It's not one of those things you can just say, well, a mask will cure everything or the vaccine will cure everything. But I think there's been a lot of confusion that's been created by the CDC, by these, you know, on July the 4th, you have the President of the United States declaring freedom against COVID-19, and three weeks later, we're, we're, we're starting to order people to wear a mask again, and mandates are coming out on a federal level as far as getting the vaccine. What, is, what has changed so much in three weeks? Well, it is, it is complicated. There are two things, really, wearing a mask and what is going on with uh, possible vaccine mandates. And I think that the issue of wearing a mask, it is really to protect the unvaccinated. 
And that is a very, it is a complicated sociologic issue that's mixed with medical issues. Because one can argue that if I, and, and the reason for it, I'll back up a sec, is that this Delta variant appears to be able to harbor in the nasal passages of vaccinated individuals. So uh, the vaccines do not put a protective shield around you, like we would see in a comic book hero, but the, but when you do get the virus into you, uh, which you can get uh, just by being in contact with someone who has it or asymptomatic and all the usual ways you can get a virus transmitted, this, this particular virus, in, in the past variants, if you had been vaccinated, the transmittal of the vaccine, the virus load from your nasal passages or a respiratory system to another individual was very, very low. With this Delta variant, we find that the ability to, to transmit from the nasal passages of someone who has been vaccinated is significantly higher. Therefore, it is easier to pass. So the vaccinated person might get mild uh, symptoms, uh, might get moderately difficult symptoms, but certainly life is protected in the vaccinated individual. So really what the CDC is trying to do and it would be better if they just explain this a little bit more clearly, uh, is to protect the unvaccinated. And sociologically, one can argue, though, well, these folks who are not wanting to be vaccinated, who are refusing to be vaccinated, have to have consequences for their actions, and that is the potential for them to become uh, you know, victims of COVID. So that's, that's a very difficult scenario to play out if you're a policymaker. And I think the government is doing the right thing at the public health level, and they're taking the most conservative course, which is to protect the health of everyone, including those who have chosen not to be vaccinated. So, so to put it in, a, in very simple terms, they are choosing to protect Americans from themselves, whether they want to be protected or not. Yes, uh, it's, it's kind of uh, similar to uh, helmet laws, uh, you know, in states with, for motorcycle riders, seatbelt laws, uh, other laws and regulations that we have to protect us from ourselves. Uh, one can argue and debate this. This is a matter of uh, governmental policy, uh, but I think that there is some merit to the notion that there is an obligation of public health officials to protect those who are not wise enough to protect themselves. I guess you don't subscribe to Darwin's theory, huh? Well, I certainly, as a scientist, believe that it exists, but as a sociologic uh, or as a as a governmental uh, approach to uh, policy, I'm not sure that I would say, well, we should let those who are not smart enough to be vaccinated become ill. I think that we have to have a larger societal obligation. So, well, I think it's it's a bit harsh, uh, and people don't like it. Uh, quite frankly, I do wear a mask when I'm in crowded supermarkets or other public areas. Uh, we uh, do go to restaurants, but we're very careful about when we go to restaurants, and uh, we make sure that the restaurants have good distancing between tables. So, you know, I live in Florida, and we were one of the first states to open up uh, our economy here. Uh, and we are seeing, you know, some, unfortunately, rise in the unvaccinated. Well, I think we're seeing, we're seeing all across the country some rise in these COVID-19 cases. Um, 
Yes. Is it? Is it, and I don't want to oversimplify. I, I try to simplify the conversation to a certain extent because I think you know I don't want to fly over people's heads as far as medical jargon and all all the rest that goes along mm. with it. Um, I think one of the areas that uh, and by the way for the for the for the record I I got the Pfizer vaccine. I've had I've had the two doses. I don't know if I want six months from now to have to go in and and get a booster shot or not get a booster shot. I'll make that decision mm-hmm. at the time. But 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 the bottom line I think is that it's not really if I have to go in and get a booster shot, it's not really a vaccine. It's it's a flu shot. Well, you're right. The uh, this COVID virus is now endemic. It's going to be around for a very long time. I heard one estimate this morning, and I'm sure that it's a firm estimate, but, you know, like, as we hear a lot of numbers being thrown around, there are opinions uh, as well as data points, but someone thought that the virus could be around for two to three years, and I think that that's probably not far off. How dangerous it will be, uh, I think that it'll start mutating the way most viruses do down. It'll burn itself out. Uh, and we'll find that in two to three years while we're, we'll have certain cases of individuals who become hospitalized from COVID virus, it'll be an awful lot like the general flu viruses, where, by the way, we also have individuals, uh, usually those who are immunocompromised, weakened, have multiple uh, other medical conditions that, that complicate their, their recuperation. Uh, they also end up with people dying from flu and being hospitalized from seasonal right. flu. And exactly. I don't think it's a big deal to get another vaccination. Look, you know, Americans, if you were born in America, you were vaccinated. Uh, you know, measles, mumps, rubella, polio, these are all things that we have brought under tremendous control. We don't stop vaccinating for measles, mumps, rubella, and polio because we don't have many cases. We continue to vaccinate. So we don't have many cases. I get that, uh, so I think, but we get vaccinated. You get vaccinated for those things once, or if you get a correct. booster shot, it's it's decades later. That's what makes the difference between a vaccine, in my estimation, and a flu shot. And I just think if we were more transparent with people, listen, this is a, this is what this is. This is a glorified version of the flu. We can prevent it if you get this shot. But but when we try to to make it sound like a vaccine, people think of vaccines. The way you just explained, like like a polio vaccine or or measles rubella vaccine, a one and done kind of a thing. When you tell people that, well, it's 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 not permanent, then they go, well, what's the point of this? Unless we explain it in terms they can understand. Yes, yeah, I I don't think I think in our age of instantaneous blurbs of information, that's why I really appreciate. The discussion with you, Jimmy, because you're trying to dig through and not just get the soundbite uh, for your listeners, and I think that's a great service to them. Uh, when you think this through, there and, and part of it is the technical differences between different viruses uh, and how they mutate and what they look like. So, yes, there are some viruses where you get one vaccination and uh, you're done for life. It's lifetime immunity uh, or near-lifetime immunity. And there are others, tetanus, pneumonia other things that you can be getting pneumonia where you may need second shots because it's not full time or because the virus is mutating in the in the seasonal flu it's there's different strains that appear every year so you need something to cover those different strains uh so yeah it it is unfortunately in our age where people want quick answers that it's very difficult to give a quick answer to this so i always urge folks and I think it's one thing for government officials to go out and make pronouncements 
to do what they do at the macro level to force it or to or to uh, encourage people. But I always say that the best place to get your information is from your local physician, your local pharmacist, your local nurse, practitioner, nurse, whoever you see for your health care needs. They will give you good advice that is meaningful to you. Uh, because what's meaningful to a 22-year-old strapping young fella or gal is not the same as a 70-plus-year-old individual with hypertension and obesity and diabetes. So I really think that that one-on-one conversation, so all of the folks in your listening area who are reluctant, don't know, or be confused, have a conversation with someone you trust that wears a white coat, your doctor, your pharmacist, your nurse practitioner, nurse, they'll be able to give you good information that's tailored for you. Yeah, then I would agree with that. It's just, it's too bad that more of us don't have family physicians like we used to. A lot of folks go to Doc in the Box, and that, that may be part of the connection that's missing from all this. Dr. Sal, got to leave it at that for today, but thanks for the conversation. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime you'd like me back, I'd be happy to, Jimmy. Have a good day. Be, ha- be happy to have you back. Dr. Salvadore J. Giorgiani, Men's Health Network, joining us here on AM 950 KPRC. We're not done with the conversation. Todd Furness, 60% solution, especially on the federal mandate that you knew was coming, right? The federal mandate requiring a vaccine. We'll talk about that next here on AM 950 KPRC. The Jimmy Barrett Show continues, continues. on KPRC 950. Well, like I said to Dr. Salvin, July the 4th, President Biden says, hey, it's Independence Day and we're declaring our independence from COVID-19. And here we are three weeks later and the mask recommendations are coming back from the CDC and we're having a full-blown panic attack over the Delta variant. And worse than that, I mean, if you're a business, you want to require me to wear a mask, I'll make that decision about whether or not I want to patronize your business. But you've got the pressure now coming from the schools. Governor Governor Abbott, by the way, has already said that he's not planning to change change the state's mask policy. And the, the public school systems are, by state edicts, are not requiring masks for kids going back to school this fall. So does there need to be more flexibility there? Should we stick to our guns? Uh, joining us to talk about all this is Todd Furness, of the 60% solution. That's the book he wrote, Rethinking Healthcare. All right, Todd, here we are in the great state of Texas, and I think we're prepared to go like Florida and, and kind of go our own way as relates to uh, to this COVID Delta variant. Are we making the right move? What do you think? So thanks for having me on. I think we are making the right move, and I think we have to question who are we trying to protect? Uh, the, que- the people who have had the vaccine uh, ostensibly are protected against the uh, the Delta variant. So if they're protected, then the people who are not protected are the people who are electing themselves not to get the vaccine. Now, there are limited number of cases of people who have gotten the Delta variant, even though they have been fully vaccinated. But as a percentage, it's still pretty small. It, there are, it has happened, but it's still a very small percentage. And so what I worry about is this culture of fear we're creating. And we're now alerting people, if you take a look at suicide rates for kids under 13, they've skyrocketed. Do you take a look at uh, drug abuse that, and other mental health issues that that's gone up and and really, and then the other issue is that uh, particularly young people believe that the risk of either hospitalization or death from 
either variant of the COVID back of the of COVID is lethal. It's 10, per, 10 times what it actually is. They're, that's their belief. So we're creating this culture of fear in addition to the the tactical issues we're trying to employ to to get people to wear masks or do things otherwise across the nation. You know, it's interesting. I had a guy, um, Dr. Sal uh, Giorgiani, he's with Ben's Health Network, and I asked him, I said, do you not believe in Darwin's theory? <laughs> and Darwin's theory, of course, is only the strong survive. In other words, if this, if this vaccination is the be-all, end-all, and that's what you need to avoid getting COVID-19 or a serious case of it, then you make your own decision, smart or not so smart. But the government has decided now it's going to step in and try to protect ourselves from ourselves. And he equated it to a uh, like a motorcycle helmet law, for example, where, uh, yeah, there are people out there who would ride a motorcycle without a helmet on and would crash and kill themselves from a head injury as a result, should we not try to protect them? And I think here in Texas, we don't have, for example, a motorcycle helmet law because we believe that you're a grown-ass man or woman and you have the right to make that decision for yourself. Correct. And so the question here, and the reason it's a little bit different, is because of the risk of infecting somebody else. That's the the moral standing on which those advocating masks and other things uh, are are positioning themselves. My concern is a different one, is if you take a look at the number of the, the percentage of the population broadly that has been vaccinated, you then nationwide, about just under 60% of our nation has uh, been vaccinated and at least once, and uh, you know, a goodly portion has been vaccinated fully. So, Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You add to that women who are of childbearing years. That's about fifteen to age 15 to 44. I'm not sure they should get vaccinated. People have already. That's twenty percent of our population. Ten percent of our population has already had the vac, have, has already had the disease, and then you've got another ten percent who have a natural, or five percent that have a natural immunity. So pretty pretty quickly, you get up to eighty five or so percent of Americans that would fall into the either they've been vaccinated or they don't need to be vaccinated category, which leaves a limited number of our our population left. And so what we're doing, the real dialogue we're having is what are the rights of the individual versus the rights of the collective? And the people who are saying everybody needs to wear a mask are saying the rights of collective are superior to the rights of the individual. And from from my perspective, we as a nation have always taken the other view, which is the rights of the individual shall not be taken away unless there's a compelling public policy reason for doing so. And in this instance, what the the argument is is that the risk, not not the actual uh, result, but the risk of uh, being infected with this virus from somebody who has the virus is so great that we ought to be taking these other measures. Well, the reality is is that increasingly with every passing day and every additional round of vaccines given, there are fewer and fewer people who are subject to that risk. 
And so to me, what we have to do is go back to our North Star as a country and say the rights of the individual are superior. I would agree with you, sir. Um, here's something, though, I find ever so much more scary than mandating masks again, and that is what evidently is coming next. And uh, many of us have been predicting this for months, that it would come to this. And it will start at the federal level, but I believe there are plenty of large corporations who are going to go ahead and play along with this. And that is uh, the announcement we expect sometime tomorrow um, from the federal government that all federal employees will be mandated to get a vaccination or lose their job. Yeah, and to me, this is this is another example of painting with such a broad brush that you're incapable of thinking through what you're doing, meaning that you know, I just went through the numbers. So what happens to women who are 15 to 44 working for the federal government? They're going to get a vaccine. Okay, so now now let's think that through. What happens if they suffer an adverse reaction to that such that it harms either the mother or the fetus? Who does that person to look to, to for, for that, for, for some, some help there? It's not going to be the federal government. They're going to say, look, we're not, we're not helping. Sorry, bad luck. So you, you, should have, you should have walked away from your job instead. Yeah, well, people, not a lot of people are going to be willing to do that. Um, and we're talking, by the way, when you're talking about federal employees, if you're going to mandate every federal employee must be vaccinated, you're talking about over 2 million people. Yeah, it's coming up on three. You're right. Largest employer in the world. Absolutely. And if if they mandate it, um, knowing how many woke CEOs we have in this country now, how long before major corporations and companies, the Amazons of the world, and I only use them because they're a large company to use as an example, before they mandate it for their employees? Well, I think that's a fascinating question, but I, I think it's even more fascinating when you raise the issue in the context of our current employment dilemma. We have a, 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 a the percentage of participation in the neighbor, national labor force is about 62%. The real number for unemployment is not the five the 5.6% or so that they're quoting. That's something called the U3. The real number is the U6, and that's well over 10%. So we have this strange situation where there are a ton of jobs open and they can't fill the jobs because nobody wants to go to work, in part because of the extension of the unemployment benefits. But also we've got this other issue where people are saying, I'm not coming back to the office even if I get my, you know, to in order to keep my job. And so these these dynamics are already straining the workforces of large and small companies. And then you add another layer and say, oh, by the way, in addition to everything else, we're going to mandate you have a vaccine for those instances where you are coming to the office. So that's the other irony here is, you know, that we have a lot of businesses that still haven't required their people to come back to the office, but you're still going to mandate that they get a vaccine even though they're not coming back to the office? Yeah. Let me ask you one last thing, uh, Todd, and I've been thinking about this a lot today for some reason, because mainly because of the CDC and all the conflicting messages that they have sent uh, on down the line through this entire thing. Um, and yet throughout this, in all their urging of everybody to get the vaccine, they have never taken this vaccine out of the, and the FDA has never taken this vaccine out of the status of an emergency application. Why, why hasn't this drug been approved at this point uh, for, 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 for full-time use, not just an emergency application? Might that build more confidence 
in it for people if they didn't have that emergency label? It certainly would, and why it hasn't been done is still a mystery to many of us, uh, especially given the reliance we're placing on it and the fact that it's been approved for emergency use is fine. But then you got to ask yourself, wait a minute, if the FDA hasn't approved this fully, how on earth can we in good conscience mandate school-aged children, the least vulnerable of us all, to get this vaccine in order to go back to school? I don't know how you make it mandatory for anybody to take it unless you take it out of that emergency status. But that so far, no action on that. Todd, always good to talk to you, sir. Difficult topic as always, and appreciate you tackling it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Author of The 60% Solution, Rethinking Healthcare. By the way, you can find out more about the book at The 60, S-I-X-T-Y, The60PercentSolutionBook.com. Back with more in a moment. All right, for the, for the last half hour, we've had... A bit of a debate going on about vaccines and masks. It's been a while since we've done it. With two you know, very different points of view, I would like to think that we had an informative and civil conversation. Now, I happen to agree much more with Todd Furness than I do with Dr. Sal. Dr. Sal is one of those people who believes in telling people for their own good you need to do something. I don't believe in that. Neither does Todd. I believe in telling people right up front what you don't, do know and what you don't know and allowing them to make a personal decision. Will people always make good decisions? Of course not. We're human beings. We used to make mistakes and learn from them. Oh, but Jimmy, somebody could die on this COVID thing. Okay. Sorry to say, you're right. Somebody could. Somebody can die from the flu every year. What is to be learned from that? We can't allow these things to rule our lives. We can't get in the habit of allowing the federal government to dictate to us how we're going to protect our health. Well, this is not about protecting your health. It's protecting mine. That, that's sort of the Dr. Sal argument. Well, you've got to wear a mask, even though you've been vaccinated. And he fully missed the CDC has done a horrible job of explaining this. But I, I guess he has a little bit of a point from the standpoint of, yes, the, the COVID variant can get up in my, get up there in my nostrils and potentially infect somebody else. Now, I don't happen to believe that the mask is going to prevent those little molecules from getting to somebody else. But even if I did believe that for a minute, okay, let, let's get into that argument. Has, has the government, in all its lack of wisdom, has the CDC, which has the worst bedside manner I've ever seen, does the CDC have a clue about how to explain that basic fact to the public? Does the administration have any clue no they don't and in his evidence of that the exchange between fox's peter ducey and jen saki at a press conference yesterday where he asked her twice i'm if you're fully vaccinated why do you need to wear a mask and her answer is horrible take a listen 
And if it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated still, then why do vaccinated people need to put the masks back on? Well, Peter, first of all, I would say again, just to go back to this chart, which I will handily point to again. If you were vaccinated, if you were vaccinated, your life, it can save your life. And I think the clear data shows um, that this pandemic is killing, is hospitalizing, is making people very sick who are not vaccinated. That can still continues to be the case, uh, regardless of what the mask guidance looks like. If the vaccines work, which this sign says that they do, then why do people who have had the vaccine need to now wear masks, the same as people who have not had it? because the public health uh, leaders in our administration have made the determination based on data that that is a way to make sure they're protected, their loved ones are protected, uh, and that's an extra step given the transmissibility of the virus. It's because we told you so. All she had to say was, is because as a vaccinated person, you can still carry the virus and infect somebody who isn't vaccinated and therefore putting their life in danger. At least that's a better explanation than Jen Psaki gave. But again, I revert back to Darwin. <laughs> Only the strong survive. That 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 that's how that's how evolution works. The theory of evolution is that the weakest among us, the weakest among us, they don't make it. And that, that builds stronger human beings. We didn't get to this point in our existence by allowing the weak to continue. The weakest among us, it's the same thing in the animal kingdom. The slowest wildebeest gets eaten by the lion. Well, we need to protect that, that really slow wildebeest. Well, what's the lion supposed to eat? So between doing a very, very poor job of explaining and and not realizing that you can't force everybody, I don't care what you do, there will be people who are not going to take the vaccine for whatever the reason is. You just can't force everybody to do it. And why would you bring down the economy of this country in order to do it? Unless there's an ulterior motive. Okay, I said it. All right. Oh, by the way, let's get Tucker Carlson's reaction to that exchange we just heard between Peter Ducey and Jen Psaki. So the vaccines work. The only people getting sick are the unvaccinated, but the vaccinated still have to wear masks. Why is that? Well, you just heard the answer. Quote, public health leaders in our administration have made the determination. In other words, because we said so. That's the medical justification for suffocating your third grader with a paper mask forever. Public health leaders in the administration have made that determination. So they issue the rule without explaining it. You then obey it. If you ask questions, CNN calls you a murderer. That's how our government works. Watching that exchange, you realize that every moment in time is just a point on a continuum. And that's worth remembering now. It's easy to assume that because all this is happening live at the White House, it's the way that things are and will always be. But in fact, a moment this absurd cannot last for long. It's just too irrational. The people making the decisions are too discredited. They're too transparently unwise. What you're watching is a decaying system based on presumed expertise finally reach its ugly end stage. 
At some point, it will be gone because it has no legitimacy. And whatever comes next will be very different from what we're living through now. Okay. Now, if you're wondering what he's talking about there, he sort of began the conversation by comparing regimes, most of which, by the way, have been totalitarian regimes or socialist regimes, that fell. And the way you could tell that they were ready to fall is because they started making absurd orders that didn't make sense in an effort to maintain power. I don't know that I agree with Tucker that we are there yet, but it certainly feels like we're headed in that direction, doesn't it? it certainly does. So how far will we play this out? How far will, we, will they play the COVID card? How far are they willing to go? People thought I was insane six months ago when I said mandatory vaccines are coming, but clearly they are on their way and they're only going to spread. And if you work for a major corporation, like I do, then you may get an edict from your corporation, who knows, saying that you have to have that vaccine. And then, of course, if you don't have it, you'll have a decision you have to make. Have yourself a great evening. I'll see you tomorrow morning, bright and early at 5 with Shara. Houston's Morning News on KTRH, back here at 3 on AM 950 KPRC. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.